0: Please turn with me again this morning to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through the end of the chapter. As we're opening there, just a couple of notes about this passage before we read it. Um... If you have the NAS in front of you, as as I'll be reading from, um, you'll notice, just look at verse 44, 46, and 48 are all the same, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If you have an ESV or an NIV or some other translation, you don't know what I'm talking about because you don't have a verse 44 or verse 46. Um, if you have them, they're probably bracketed, uh, and that's because they're almost certainly not uh, original. They were somehow copied from verse 48, which is, seems to be the original. So um, I'm going to skip those verses. That's the first note. The second note is this passage seems to be something of a collection of sayings of, of Jesus, uh, it seems evident from the uh, places we find some of these statements elsewhere in the Gospels, that they were on, on different occasions, this, uh, this passage here in Mark, in other words, is not just a continual discourse of Jesus, Mark has collected a few different sayings here, um, but with, with a purpose, and, and uh, not unconnected, and so we'll try to trace those connections uh, overall theme through this morning. So here, God's uh, holy and powerful word, in Mark chapter nine. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him. There is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is for us. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I want to begin this morning just asking you, what what are you serious about? Uh, what are you really serious about day to day in your life? Uh, some people are serious about. Sports or outdoor, outdoor activities or, or exercise. Uh, some people are serious. These aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, serious about music, right? Playing or listening to or keeping up with music. Some people are serious about food or diet or health and uh, give much attention to that. Some people are serious about uh, sports teams. I've been known to be serious about hockey. If you've been in my office here, uh, see something of that. Some. Uh, uh, some people are serious about decor or cars, or we could go on and on. What would a portrait of your life show that you're serious about? If there's a book of data points and charts on your expenditure of time and resources and thoughts had and so on, uh, it would be very revealing. What would it reveal that you're serious about? So this passage calls you to be serious as much as anything else about sin, Without a doubt, this is uh, some of what we read this morning is some of the strongest, um, most arresting, most graphic language that Jesus uses in the Gospels. Um, uh, Every week I print these children's bulletins that are back there. This company has bulletins for almost every chapter in the Bible, but um, not this passage. Um, It's kind of hard to put some of these words into um, an illustrated children's bulletin. Again, we're working through a part of the Mark's Gospel here that is full of somber stories and um, warnings and discussions of humility and suffering. Um, it, it can be difficult passage to, passages to work through. This is another sobering passage. Um, but I want you to see this as the, the grace of God to you. Um, not only that we be warned of sin, but, but encouraged to press on in the, in the nature of true discipleship. Um, and the way of the cross. And so we should read these as an encouragement as we struggle on. Um, uh, much like in, in the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the character Evangelist comes to Christian and his friend Faithful at one point. They're uh, you know, long ways into their journey, and they've been struggling along. Uh, evangelist comes and says, My sons, you have heard in the word of the truth of the gospel that you must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, that in every city, bonds and afflictions abide in you. Therefore you cannot expect that you should go long in your pilgrimage without them, in some sort or other. And you have found something of the truth of these testimonies already, and more will immediately follow. But be you faithful unto death, and the King will give you a crown of life. So we continue to take that kind of encouragement, even from difficult passages like these. I want to look at this passage in two... Two parts this morning. First, the the seriousness of sin in misleading other believers relative to others. And then, secondly, the seriousness of sin um, relative to ourselves uh, in our own lives. But first, we recall the the context, the previous passage we looked at last week, where Jesus again predicted his suffering and death to his disciples. Uh, They respond uh, shortly after by arguing about which of them is the greatest. Uh, And so Jesus issues this call to humility in verse 35. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Uh, and then give this illustration of of receiving, of serving someone who's lowly uh, and insignificant. And then we come immediately to verse 38 and I don't think we can be sure whether this is part of the same conversation or if this is um, part of the the collected sayings that Mark brings together here. Uh, But it says, John says to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. And this is part of the same conversation, I think the sense is, the disciples have just heard this call to humility and an example of it, and John is saying, well, Lord, that reminds me, Uh, just recently we met this guy who was ministering in your name, we tried to shut down his ministry, and I'm not sure that was the kind of humble accepting service that you were calling us to. Should we have done that? Um, Notice why John says they tried to shut him down. He was not following us. Right, He wasn't part of our group. He wasn't part of the club. He wasn't part of the, the inner circle of the disciples, it seems. And and maybe he was doing some things differently uh, than they did. But Jesus responds, verse 39, Do not hinder him. For there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. In other words, don't, don't oppose or look down on someone because they're not... Part of your group, or they're doing things a little differently. Uh, if they are doing ministry in my name, and that's that's really the emphasis of Jesus' response. If if they're doing, if, if they're truly followers of me, uh, don't don't oppose them or hinder them in any way. In verse forty-one, he says, "Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, uh, even just a cup of water." Because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Again, there's the emphasis of being followers of Christ. Uh, being and, and bearing real gospel fruit for the sake of, of Jesus. Uh, there are probably in these verses that we've touched on already a couple of sermons to consider here, but uh, we're not going to do that. There's there's a lot of application, but just uh, just touch on it briefly, saying Uh, For example, there are are tens of thousands of of denominations in the church today, and and many opportunities there for for us to have some of John's condescending uh, elitist, um, you're not part of our group kind kind of attitude. There are thousands of differences in how different Christians, different traditions, live out the Christian life, how they order the church, um, how they understand the Bible, or how they worship, and so on. And, and many of those distinctions are not unimportant at all. But if the Bible speaks to something, it's important that we study and understand it. Um, but this is where we could spend a lot of time talking about which which these things are essential doctrines that divide. The true church from a false church, or which are secondary, or which are tertiary, um, which should hold, we hold more rigorously, or which uh, more, maybe necessarily in this life, divide churches, which should not divide the churches. And um, suffice it to say for now, the emphasis should be, I think, on what fellow professing believers uh, believe concerning Christ. Uh, are they following Christ? That, that's the emphasis in this passage. Here, someone who's who's professing me, uh, Jesus says. Um, and the the most important questions are not, um, are they with us, or uh, do they agree with our interpretations, or our traditions, or our pet issues? Um, as important as been, some of those things may be. Uh, Jesus is is saying here whether someone does a miracle in his name or just gives a a cup of water. He's creating a spectrum there. Something that's uh, amazing uh, or something that's just everyday mundane, just just handing someone a cup of water uh, in kindness. Um, You're not to look at the fruit of real service to Jesus anywhere on that spectrum. um, No matter how insignificant. and Say, well, they don't do it the way we do it. You know, they don't do X, Y, and Z. Surely God is more pleased uh, with us. Um, again, we could give nuances and qualifications to that basic point, but let's begin from that foundation and, and principle uh, as we humbly serve with other believers. Well, Jesus then goes in in verse 42. Uh, To say, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, and by little ones, he doesn't mean children, he means disciples, he uses that term in that way elsewhere, and that's what he's just been talking about. Causes one of these to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck he had been cast into the sea. Uh, The word stumble there means to, in in the Greek, means to cause someone to sin or to to trip up their faith, to harm or to hinder their faith. Um, So I think the logic, moving to verse 42 in this strong statement here now, is more than being concerned about what someone else is doing, whether they're part of your group or whether they're doing things right or maybe maybe they're doing something wrong, but more than being concerned about that. Be concerned whether whether you are causing someone to stumble. Uh, whether you are getting in the way of someone else's true faith, someone who's truly ministering to Christ, for Christ. Uh, whether that's done by, by opposing that person or slandering them or discouraging them because they're not doing things your way or leading them into sin because of the way that you're living in your own life. Your greater concern needs to be that you are not hindering someone else's faith. This is the first of these really graphic statements here in this this passage that Jesus makes. There's really no way around what Jesus says here, a way to to soften what he says. Uh, The millstone that he talks about in in the Greek literally says a donkey stone, a donkey millstone, because it's one of these giant stones with a hole in the middle. You put the grain in and uh, uh, an animal, an ox or a donkey has to turn the thing. Jesus is about to talk about the disciples' own sin, hindering themselves and uh, cutting off various body parts to prevent that. But here, Jesus says, if it's someone else's faith that's at stake, uh, it would be better if your whole body, your whole life, were violently, definitively, uh, irreversibly at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, maybe you've heard the question, what do you call 500 lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? That's a good start. That's the answer. That's readily recognized, of course, as a joke, right? Uh, Jesus is not joking in this statement. He's not exaggerating. Um, such is the seriousness of how your sin, in 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 rivalry with someone else, or as is here or whatever, how it affects others. There's evidence that the Romans actually used this kind of a method um, to, to drown insurrectionists, those who were rebelling against the Roman Empire. And Jesus is essentially saying those who profess faith in him but are actually working against God's empire, the kingdom of God, deserve nothing less. Rather than your your arrogance or, or open unrepentant sin leading someone else into sin, leading someone else to spiritual death, it would better be better for you to be ended. Now, that's how seriously Jesus is saying we ought to take our sin and how it affects that of other other believers particularly. Now, how is your life affecting the faith of those around you? How is your sin affecting Others around you. This is not to suggest that any of us lives in a way that uh, that our sin does not affect other people around us. It uh, All of us. That that is the case in this life. But is your humility, your your repentance, your service also evident? Uh, is it primarily evident? That well, leads Jesus to speak to the disciples of their own sin for their own sake. Secondly, on your outline, and He makes again three parallel statements here, uh, verse forty-three: If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. And then He repeats that for your feet and your eyes. And the main point, I think, here is in in letter A there on your outline, is that there can be no half measures in dealing with sin, Uh, no playing with sin or tolerating sin in your life. And Jesus, in part, points to the seriousness of this by mentioning the only two ultimate destinies for you in your life. He speaks of uh, to enter life, in each of these uh, three instances, to enter life or to go into hell. Jesus is teaching the disciples how to enter life, what, what, the, what the way of entering life looks like. Also, uh, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This, this life and sin presents all kinds of temporary, indulgent versions of life, uh, but that all lead ultimately uh, to death. The, the word that's translated hell here uh, is the Greek word "henna." It comes from um, a valley just outside of Jerusalem, the the Hinnom Valley, um, which was infamously in Israel's history used by uh, Ahaz and Manasseh, some of the worst um, kings of Israel uh, ever for idol worship and particularly for sacrificing children uh, to the god Moloch there. When King Josiah came along and uh, reformed Israel and, and their worship, Judah and its worship, um, it designated that valley where they had done those horrible things um, as a as a burning trash heap. Basically, this is where we're going to dump garbage now. And so it was just a it was literally a smoldering pile of, of garbage. But then became uh, sort of uh, proverbial idiom- idiomatically uh, a symbol for hell for God's judgment, a warning to, to generations after uh, of turning against God. Uh, the, the clear teaching of the Bible, the clear teaching of Jesus is that your sin is a breaking of God's law. It's a, a defiance of his design for you and for his world. It's a, a cosmic treason against the king of kings. Um, and it deserves death and, and hell. Um, the jury, uh, there's a jury, deciding just this week, I think, um, the sentencing for the Parkland shooter uh, a while back, right? Who shot, killed more than a dozen students in, in that school, and they're deciding whether he should have the death penalty, right? Which seems seems likely. Um, our sins, we need to realize, are, are far more grievous against God, a holy God and Creator. Uh, who made us. Uh, sin and hell are uncomfortable topics for sinful humans, um, and I- increasingly so in our, our modern culture and the church that it has shaped, um, to the point that many who profess Christ not only avoid these topics, but, but some will uh, reject them altogether. Um, and so we shouldn't talk about them. Uh, we're not even true. Uh, a, a good example, a foundation of that is, is Robert Shuler. Uh, Robert Shuler passed away a few years ago, but he was uh, one of the most famous preachers in, in American history. Founder of the Crystal Cathedral in, Ca- in California um, and host of the TV show, The Hour of Power, uh, for about 40 years. And at, it, at its height, it had millions of viewers uh, daily. Um, Robert Schuler often addressed what, what was wrong with the world, um, what was wrong with people, what people needed most. Um, and his consistent answer to that for 40 years was self-esteem. All right, we all have to think better of ourselves. Right? And so he said, for example, there is no greater damage that can be done than to refer to the so-called lost sinful condition of man. Uh, you can't damage a person any more, possibly, than telling them that they have sin that they need to deal with. He, he wrote elsewhere, I, "...I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ that's proven to be more destructive to human personality than the unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their so-called lost and sinful condition." Uh, but that's precisely what, what Jesus did. Right? It's precisely what we need to, to even understand the Gospel even know our need for the gospel, so we must be aware of it. Um, Jesus' point is that sin is a matter of life and death. Um, not in the sense that if you don't successfully excise all sin from your life, or a certain amount of sin from your life, you're not worthy of God's love or salvation. Jesus is not here talking about how you enter the kingdom of heaven, or how you, how you come to understand that you have God's grace and forgiveness. Uh, Those are a free gift of grace. They cannot be earned um, by a certain level of holiness or putting off a certain amount of sin at all. We receive them only by faith, but coming to faith in Christ and receiving a new heart in Him involves making a definitive break with sin. So Jesus pictures someone who, uh, in in these illustrations, if your hand caused you to stumble, um, don't suppose that you can go into heaven uh, not dealing with that he, he pictures someone who supposes they could stroll into eternal life without repentance basically with with a sort of half-hearted commitment to Jesus and his holiness now Jesus' statements here cutting off your hand cutting off your feet are, are generally taken as hyperbole um, it, it's, it's an exaggeration for an effect for us to see how serious this is and that, that shouldn't uh, take away from the force of what he's saying. But I want to suggest that maybe Jesus is not speaking with hyperbole. Uh, not, in the ex- not in the sense that he actually expects that we would be cutting off body parts or gouging out eyes because this isn't how sin actually works. But in the sense that Jesus is saying there, there's nothing worth it. Uh, there's nothing valuable enough to keep you out of God's gracious gift of life. To, to, that you would avoid hell so if your hand if your hand was keeping you from entering the kingdom of god you should not hesitate cut it off literally anything that would hinder you from the kingdom of god We need to be clear that Jesus is not, as as some have supposed, that he's not speaking as a sort of Gnostic or in the sense of other religions that uh, the material or the body is is evil or that the spiritual is what's valuable and the body and the material world uh, are less valuable. That's not a biblical worldview. Um, Jesus is, in fact, presupposing that the, the strength of what he's saying here presupposes the value of your hands and your feet, and your eyes—that's part of the point that Jesus is making, because they're so valuable. We can hardly imagine life with hands cut off and, and feet cut off. You, you can't indulge in, um, in in much sin at all without your hands, your feet, and your eyes. Jesus is saying, "Don't don't play with your sin. If, if it were as tangible as your hand, you should cut it off, even if it's the most valuable thing there is to you." Uh, it, its desire is to kill you, to destroy your relationships, your faith. I was reading a book a, a while back that um, some of you may have written read as well, it said that that uh, playing with your sin, t- tolerating your sin, is sort of like taking in a tiger kitten. Right? It's, it's cute and fluffy at first, and um, you get along well, and it seems harmless, but gradually it, it grows up. And, and one day you wake up and find it eating your face off. <laughs> the writer was kind of trying to match some of the uh, the, the shock of, of Jesus' words here. Again, these, these statements will seem harsh, will seem over the top, maybe if, if we're not convinced of the nature of the enemy that you face, in sin, of the danger of sin. That's part of what Jesus is trying to communicate. <laughs> A great illustration of that is that in 1938, the uh, UK Prime Minister was Neville Chamberlain. And Neville Chamberlain, in, in 1938, came uh, back to England from being away at, at uh, meetings with other European leaders. and when he came back to London, he gave a short but now famous speech to the crowds that were gathered there, eager to hear how his, uh, how his meeting went, uh, and he, he spoke these famous words, I believe it is peace for our time. Right? He said, Every, everything's going to be okay, there's no danger here. And then, and then he concluded, now I recommend you go home and sleep quietly in your beds. In other words, go to bed, there's nothing to worry about, I, I've dealt with it all. Well, never, Chamberlain had just met with Hitler and other, uh, other European leaders in Munich, and they had signed the Munich Agreement by which uh, the other leaders agreed to give Hitler a little piece of Czechoslovakia to make him happy and and Hitler said, that, that's fine, he promised to be good, uh, he wouldn't do anything more, uh, that, that's all I need. Um, and so Neville Chamberlain comes home and says, it's peace for our time, our, our generation will see peace. Well, it was just a few months later that Hitler had crushed all of Czechoslovakia, had invaded Poland, and w- within a year the UK itself was desperately at war with Germany. One um, of the most famous instances of, of underestimating an enemy. Uh, we could say that Hitler should have been stopped as definitively as cutting off your hand in, in 1938. I um, it contrasts with Winston Churchill's evaluation a couple years later when he said, "When I look around to see how we can win this war, I see that there is only one sure path, and that is absolutely devastating exterminating attack by very heavy bombers with this country upon the Nazi homeland." Uh, Only a devastating, unrelenting attack. And that's that's what we have to do with sin. Uh, Jesus' comments reflect if if you have sin in your life that you're courting or coddling or uh, tolerating, you need to know that the goal, the end of all sin, is to destroy you. There's no sin that's not an offense against the grace and kindness of God to you. There's no sin that's not incompatible with your faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord? That all sin, no matter how small or insignificant or harmless it it seems, has the potential to lead you away from Christ? Do you you believe the guilt and danger of your sin, the need for reconciliation in Jesus, the the reward that he speaks of, verse forty-one? Do you believe in the reality of eternal hell, that nothing would be worth doing or indulging in to, to, to face that? Or you take up your cross and, and lose your life, as Christ calls you to. Is there anything hindering your walk with Christ? With a focus on material things? Or a, a sin that you won't give up? Or maybe you're just apathetic about it? Maybe friends who are holding you back from giving yourself totally to Him. Uh, Jesus speaks of of hands, feet, and eyes, perhaps having in mind the things that we do, the places we go, and the things that we see. Um, Everything that we are, everything that we do, uh, is to be in service to Jesus and not to sin. It's that that giving yourself totally to him that's the subject of the next uh, quotes here at at the end of this passage. So looking at at letter B then on your outline. Um, Again, in verses 43 to 47, Jesus is warning about facing a judgment that never ends, uh, figuratively uh, pictured with with the words of, of fire. A fire that never goes out. And I think that seem, it seems that prompts Mark to insert another uh, quote here, uh, where Jesus speaks of fire, although he's using fire in a different sense. Uh, verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. What was Jesus saying? Well, he, he had been saying there's this fire that is to be avoided, this eternal fire to be avoided by faith in Jesus. But there's also a fire in a sense that everyone faces Throughout their whole life, everyone will be salted with fire. Uh, Figuratively speaking, of our lives being salted or being seasoned with trials, with difficulties, uh, tastes of the the consequences of sin. And for Christ's people, this is just a seasoning. It's just a salting. It has a purifying effect. It makes us more salty and effective and faithful disciples. It's not a judgment of God against us. Uh, commentators differ a bit on what what Jesus' point is here in these last couple of verses and what's behind it, but I think that's that's basically it. And that this is perhaps what's behind it. Uh, Part of the difficulty is why fire and salt, bringing those together. Well, those are brought together somewhere else in the scriptures, and that's in the, the Old Testament sacrifices. Um... The sacrifices use fire, of course, um, and they are also re- required to have salt uh, as well. Uh, not something we maybe often mention or are aware of, but salt was included uh, symbolically as well. Um, Leviticus chapter two um, says that with all your offerings you shall offer salt. Um, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings, for example. In Numbers chapter 18, God's covenant with his people is called a covenant of salt. Um, and perhaps the idea is that as these offerings were, were totally consumed by fire, the people, God's people, were preserved uh, as, as salt does. So maybe the connection with, with Mark chapter 9 here is as Jesus goes on in verse 50 to say, have salt in yourselves, He speaks of fire in our lives, but have salt in yourselves. He's picturing disciples as sacrificially giving themselves in in service to Christ. Uh, Their their lives would be a a fire of sorts, and the trials and the suffering they would face. And like those Old Testament sacrifices, which were not acceptable unless they were totally consumed by fire, there's no discipleship that's halfway Right? There's no discipleship. That's not all-consuming. That's not complete commitment. And, and in turn, finally, these, these quotations come back around to calling us to consider the effect of our lives, um, our faith on other believers around us. Verse forty-two warns negatively about wrecking the faith of another believer. Right? Verse 50, in the end, says, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace. With one of them. Be, be, uh, be salt uh, to fellow believers. Uh, toying with your sin or living in, in unrepentant lives uh, threatens to ruin the faith of others, to lead them away from Jesus. But as you are totally given to Christ, as you you are uh, you have a, a preservative, salty, blessed effect uh, on on each other. Uh, so how is again? How is your faith? How is your discipleship? Affecting the faith of others around you. What does your life say about how you value Jesus? What does your sin say about how seriously you take Jesus and His grace and His lordship? Just to tie this passage into last week, we could say to the degree that your faith is worked out in in a humble. Uh, self-giving self sin-destroying uh, grace-driven complete commitment to Jesus you'll be a blessing to others uh, following Jesus through the, the fires that salt our lives and all of this uh, this close with reminding us all of this is only done by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit it's not Something we do in our own effort, in our own strength. Uh, as Paul said in Romans 8, If you live according to the flesh, it's word for sin that we struggle with. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you again this morning for your word. Uh, we thank you... Uh, for the challenge of it to our sin. We thank you for your grace in revealing to us our sin and uh, our need for a Savior. Uh, we thank you especially for your uh, covenant love through Christ who uh, endured the fire that never goes out for us. Uh, and so that the fires of our life, the trials that you bring can, are, are meaningful. Uh, they shape us and uh, make us holy shape us for service to you and prepare us for life forever with you. Uh, We pray that you would help us to take our sin seriously and to see uh, more greatly your grace uh, in light of that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.